testimony of God's healing. If you have your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 24 today. Today I want to share with you a message called Day One, A Resurrection Story. Day One, A Resurrection Story. This moment actually began as a, in a time of prayer where God showed me a picture of this very time where we would be gathering together as one, one group, one people. And that as one group of people that God has called out to do a tremendous work in and through, that He would unite us in Himself and show us how to really step into all that God has for us. Now, when I mention that today our theme is day one, we've all had day ones, right? Remember your first day at school? No, some of you, we have too much gray to remember our first day at school. Remember your first day on the job. Remember your first day. I did a wedding yesterday for a dear, dear son and daughter of this house. And I'm so, if, I, if they had showed up here today, I'd be so angry. They're on their honeymoon. But today is their day one. Day ones are really important. It's like getting off on the right foot, taking a step in the right direction. And I want to tell you, for all of humanity, there was a day one, and it was the work that Jesus brought. Matter of fact, it totally interrupted our calendar as human beings. We count time by the work that came through Christ. And here we stand in 2023, the year of our Lord. By the way, I don't do common era years. I think that would be era. Wouldn't be proper. Wouldn't be right. Because day one of the finished work changed everything. Today I want to take you to that story which is actually in all of the Gospels. And I'm going to tell you about what happened on that day one with the hopes and faith that some under the sound of my voice will experience their own day one to this morning. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other with, women with them came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb, told all these things to the eleven, to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like 
idle tales. That means too good to believe. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. He departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. This was the moment where Jesus first revealed his resurrected ministry. And he revealed it to a group of women who followed him. He then, later that day, on day one, would reveal himself to others. Two that walked the road. He would reveal himself again to disciples. But I want you to, this morning, to to understand that the resurrection was the catalyst of everything that happened on day one. When you read the story of day one in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you find these truths. First of all, the resurrection was day one of hope. It was day one of hope. Verse 2, it says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Here's what you need to understand what was going through the hearts of those who had walked with Jesus. They were living in this moment under crushing despair. The one that they had walked in with, the one that they had placed all of their hope in, that he was Messiah, now has died. You see, they grew up in a culture which could only believe that a Messiah, when he came, he would come as a conquering king, not a suffering servant. They didn't have a a, a frame of thinking that would allow themselves to think of Messiah as coming, as God's perfect lamb. So here they are, not knowing what to do. All of the disciples, save one, John, had abandoned Christ. The scripture says that many of these women, they followed at a distance. But it was on day one when they get their first glimpse of hope. Imagine, if you will, that they've, 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 they've coming to the tomb. They're thinking to themselves, I've got to manage my despair. I've got to manage this pain. And when they come... The stone, which would have been impossible for them to move, was already rolled away. It was already rolled away. Can you imagine being so hopeless, preparing something, thinking, I've got something. I've got to do something with this pain. I've got to do something with this heartache. I've got to do something with this despair. And you come in the darkness and find God has already done something. You see, 
That stone was something they could have never moved on their own. And this is like our sin that separates us from God. You see, if you're really going to understand what happened when the stone was rolled away, you have to go all the way back to the garden. In Genesis 3.22 it says, Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now lest... He put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. By the way, in his condemned condition. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. Listen, so he drove out the man and placed a cherubim. Notice that word. It's an angel. He placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way, notice these words, to guard the way to the tree of life. Oh, but I've got some good news. Fast forward a few thousand years. And on day one, on a Sunday morning in the darkness, something happened in Jerusalem. This is what it says in Matthew 28, 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. In the beginning... A stone of separation guarded the way. But on day one, I believe that same angel was sent from heaven. And God said, oh, the price has been paid. Roll back the stone and let them all come. That's hope. That's that joyful expectation that perhaps... In my despair and brokenness, perhaps there is something good. You may have come here today feeling much like the disciples who followed Christ in the days of darkness that followed the crucifixion. You may have come here today feeling there is no hope, but I'll go to church and, man, maybe I'll feel a little better. I want to tell you today There is a genuine reason to joyfully expect that God will move in your life. And here's why. Because 2,000 years ago, he sent his angel down. He said, roll back the stone and open the way to the tree of life. And Jesus is that tree. Now hope began to flood their souls because God had provided the way. The resurrection was also day one of redemption. And redemption, it it means this. It means to buy back from the slave market of sin. It means to buy back. But let me give you a practical definition because that's not something that we can really identify with, to buy back. When I say redeem, most of you think of, you know, coupons and you go through the line you do all your shopping and you pay and then you remember oh no I had a pocket full 
that I needed to redeem. Well, redemption in the kingdom isn't something that just takes a little off. No, redemption in the kingdom practically means this. It means the mercy of God applied. That's what real redemption is. It's the mercy of God applied. God has always been merciful. But oh, day one of the resurrection was when the mercy of God was applied. You see, it says, and and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, more angels. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to him, why do you seek the living among the dead? What a strange question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? When you know the storyline is they weren't seeking the living. They were seeking the dead. They weren't seeking the living. They were in despair. I believe the angels asked this question because of how common it is for the human race to look for living things in dead places. I think it's normal for people to look for living things in dead places. Many times our daily pursuits, they're usually wrapped up in things uh, that, that we think will bring us life, but many of those pursuits are misplaced and they leave us dissatisfied and disillusioned. We look for living things in dead places. We think that relationship, that will bring us life. That job, that will bring us life. That, that, that amount in my retirement fund, that, that'll, that'll bring me some life. And I want to tell you, all of those things in and of themselves may not be terrible things, but they will never bring you life. And we as human beings, this is what we do. We're always looking for something that will bring us life. And we, we always end up looking in the wrong places. Now, you kind of think to yourself, well, you know, I'm not a bad person. So I don't go around looking for negative things. Well, ask yourself, who are these women Who are they? Let me tell you who they are. In Luke 23, 55, it says, The women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Listen, these were religious people. These were very devout people. But that day, they went searching for the dead. Remember them. They were Mary Magdalene. She was the one whom Jesus had personally cast out seven demons. It was Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. Joanna, Salome, and the mother of James and John. 
These were women who had followed Jesus, heard his teachings, supported his ministry. But what were they doing? In verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, They were bringing spices which they had prepared. They came to the tomb to bring spices that they had prepared. This journey that they were going on that day, on day one, was a journey of devotion, but it was not a journey of belief. It was a journey of devotion. They were devoted to him. They were in such despair and hurt, and now this this tomb is open, and and they have prepared these spices for Jesus after he said, I will rise again. But they didn't come looking for a risen Savior that day. This journey that we see these women on, I believe, is often reflected in our everyday experience, especially our religious pursuits. And oftentimes, listen, men and women of God, people from this community hear my heart as a shepherd and as a voice. A lot of times, our religious pursuits and saying, okay, God, I'm going to pay my religious dues. All we are doing is we are trying to make the dead things in our life smell a little better. When you're going through the religious motion, you come to church, maybe maybe you're, you're out of, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to go out of obligation. Maybe, maybe this is the right thing to do. What are we doing? We're bringing spices in hopes Maybe this will make me feel a little better, smell a little better. We just try to make things a little more tolerable or respectable instead of looking for a miracle and believing for a resurrected rescuer. Remember this. The the redemption is the mercy of God applied to our lives personally. In John's account of this moment, we find Mary, in verse 11, it says, she stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. What you don't understand about these angels that they saw that day who said, why do you look for the living among the dead? Those two angels were revealing the mercy of God. Mary actually saw the place where God's mercy met the earth in finality on day one. You see, what she had actually seen, the Israelites had carried around for years on the ark. It was on the top of the ark. The very place of God's abiding presence. It was called the mercy seat. That day, Mary saw the mercy seat. And we learn about this in Exodus 25. 
It says, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half in its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold, angels of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Remember where the angels were sitting, one on either end. It says, make one cherub at one end and the other at the other end. And you shall make the cherubim at the two ends of the one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And they shall face one another. Their faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat, looking down on it. Listen to what God says. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you. There I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I give in commandment to the children of Israel. The, uh, the mercy seat was important because once a year they sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, a type and a shadow of what Jesus would fulfill. They would sprinkle the blood every year on the day of atonement. One man going into that place, the high priest, and there he would cover the sins of Israel. Not forgive, cover which needed to be repeated year after year. But that day, Mary saw the fulfillment of the mercy of God when she looked in and saw an angel on one side and an angel on the other. And the place where the blood had been applied, it wasn't going to have to be ever applied again. Because when that blood ran down, it ran down for all who would believe in Him. All who would believe today all who will believe tomorrow there is power in that blood she saw the mercy of God applied and I love what this says I will speak to you from the mercy seat oh church this ought to make you want to shout I mean this will make a Presbyterian get happy Come on. Everything God says to you, he says from the mercy seat. Everything he speaks to you, he speaks from the place of mercy. Oh, man, I wonder if somebody wouldn't pick up the Bible and read it a little differently today. If you would read these words, understanding they're the voice of God coming from the mercy seat when he says, But God, Ephesians 2, 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Oh, do you hear God speaking to you today from the mercy seat? He said, it's from there I'll speak to you. This is what I'll do. 
By the way, God speaking to you from the place of mercy has nothing to do with your performance. If you have come to this place today thinking, yeah, mercy will work for all these good people, but not me, Pastor. You don't know who you're sitting by. They're not that good. (laughs) Oh, don't look at them and laugh. You've been wanting to say it all service. Come on, you're not that good. I'm here to tell you today, you're not here by mistake. But God brought you here to speak to you from the mercy seat. And in the way that Jesus himself was raised from the dead, you too, because of God's mercy and faith in Christ, can receive everything we see on day one. Let me finish today by telling you that day one, because of the resurrection, was a day of restoration. Anybody ever get into a restoration project? Anybody have an active uh, restoration project going on right now and you wish I really hadn't brought it up? Come on. Come on, I testify. Y'all can come lay hands on me later. You know, restoration is where you have something in a condition where it has fallen away from its original intent. You know, those who who love to restore cars, most of the time, they're not just simply trying to make their own version of an old car. They're trying to restore it in all of its originality and all of its purpose because they appreciate how it was intended to be created. I believe that today, as we celebrate the resurrection, as we celebrate day one, that God wants to restore you to his original intent for your life. This day one is a day of restoration. In John's version of day one, verse 14, when Mary was in the garden, it says, now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus, suggesting sometimes you can be closer to the Savior than you could ever know. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and hear these words, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I want you to to notice the progression here, because if you're going to experience God restoring you 
to his original intent for your life, it will follow this progression. First, Jesus comes to her. If your story is a lot like mine, I wasn't looking for Jesus when he came running after me. And you may be here today and have thought, well, I'm just going to kind of step through the religious routine. I've got, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that you're in a service and perhaps you could leave this place unaffected. The bad news, Jesus is here and he's ready to wreck all of your plans. I had my plans, plans to backslide. I had prayed a prayer. God, if you get me out of this one, Hey, you're not supposed to elbow people in church, okay? <laughs> he answered that prayer. And yet, when my willpower started to trickle away three weeks after I prayed that prayer, God having answered it, I began to say, you know, maybe I'll just go back and look for life in other places. And it was there in that moment, Jesus chased me down in a restaurant and the power of God fall, fell on me. You're in a church service. I would be so happy if I were you, if Jesus changed your life here with all the people celebrating. When Jesus really radically changed my life, it happened in a restaurant. I don't know who paid my bill. God touched me with his power. I wept. I cried. He spoke to me the very things through someone I had never met before. And Jesus came to me the way he came to Mary. And what you need to know is Jesus comes to all of us. Ephesians 2.1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Make no mistake, if today you were to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit, you're not coming to Jesus. Jesus is coming to you. He is coming to you. Why? Because you're dead. And dead people can't help themselves. So Jesus comes to her, and notice what he does next. Jesus calls her by name. In a moment where she doesn't even recognize that it's the, the, the God wrapped in flesh right in front of her, he says, Mary. And I believe today that God would use even the foolishness of preaching and that somehow through this moment you are hearing God's designed message for you, made for you by name. When God calls you, he's not calling a group of people. He's calling every individual to himself. For Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name and you are mine. Today, when God calls you by name, God is saying, you belong in my family. I love what happens next. Jesus opens her eyes. It's the next step in this progression. 
when he called her by name, she then could see him for who she is, who he, who he is. And she said, Rabboni. Here's a truth that many times we feel, but we never articulate. There are those who, who say, well, you know, I like the idea of being forgiven of sins, but I just don't see why so much worship? Why do you love him that way? Why would you live for him that way? Why would you lay down your whole life for him? Here's why. Because God removed the veil. He opened our eyes to see him for who he is. In 2 Corinthians 4.3, it says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. And so it was in this moment that Mary had her veil removed. And I believe that as you are sitting today under the sound of my voice, if you happen to be outside of the grace of of God. God today is removing the veil. I am not preaching to you a Jesus I do not know. He talks to me all of the time. Oh man, I'm glad I got two believers in the whole house. Anybody else ever hear the voice of God? By the way, he will talk to you all the time. If you ever listen to other preachers that say, well, God doesn't speak to me that often. Run. Because my Bible says, Jesus' words, my sheep hear my voice and another they won't follow. And if you can't hear his voice and see him for who he is, it could be that there's a veil that God says, I will remove for you in Christ by my grace. So he comes to us. He calls us by name. He opens our eyes and look what he does. He welcomes her into the family of God. Notice the message that she now has to carry. I'm ascending to my father. This is where everything changed on day one. And your father. She comes from a, a, a community of people that would have never said God is our father. Because within the Jewish community, they would believe that that would mean equality with God. And yet Jesus tells her in this minute, on day one of the resurrection, on day one, when I come to you, when I call you by name, when I remove the veil, it is now the way has been made for you to come into the family of God. He said, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And I come to you to implore you as an ambassador of heaven, carrying the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Today is the day where you can be reconciled to God. Your sins washed away because of the mercy of God. And you can experience the power of God through the resurrected Christ. Your life forever changed and you are forever welcomed into the family of God. You can experience that here and you can experience that today. And listen to me, saints. Listen to me. This can be your day one. I don't have time to tell you all the things that happened on day one. 
but I want to make sure that I include another group of people. It's not in my notes. There were these 11 guys. They heard the teachings. They walked with him. They weren't there at the initial revelation. You know how Jesus had to reveal himself to them? He had to walk through a wall. Rightfully so, they thought, perhaps the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin will come for us to kill us. So there they were, locked away, protecting themselves. Having heard the stories from the women, sounding like too good to be true. And Jesus walked through the walls of self-preservation and came in and said, here I am. Listen to me. If you've been walking with God for a while, but you have entered into a season of life where you feel like, man, I'm just kind of now in self-preservation. The scripture talks about that. It means we're sliding away from his heart. We're sliding back. We're not passionate for him anymore. We're fearful. We're fearful of what will happen in culture, what will happen in our country, what will happen in our future. And what do we do? We barricaded ourselves in church. You may be on your way to heaven, but you might be in a locked room. And I want to tell you, on day one, he comes to find disciples who need restoration. I want to finish today with a verse familiar to many, John 1, 12. It's but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. I've come to tell you I believe for everybody here, it's day one. 